This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Father in heaven, uh, we are happy to be back again in prayer, happy to be in your presence, and happy to hear your voice speaking to our hearts. Lord, it's a wonderful thing to hear the word of God preach. And we pray, Lord, that you'll bless every other seminar that's happening at this time, that you'll bless the speakers with conviction, with energy. And we ask that for us in this room, that you give us a unique message as well. We thank you for these gifts, and we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Crossroads. I just don't know what to do. That's the title of this session. You know, when you think about decisions in life, there's a story about a man that we all know his name. We know his name because he had come to a crossroad before. And in that crossroad, he had to make a decision. And decision that he made has caused him to forever live in infamy. His name is Caesar. We all know the name Caesar, am I right? And Caesar initially was not an emperor. He was not a popular man. He was known because he was a general. But he was only a general over a small region. But he knew there came a day where Caesar came to a river called the Rubicon. And while he was on that river bank with his army, he had to decide in his mind, am I going to cross this river and begin a civil war? Or am I going to stay here and continue to serve just as a lowly general for a small area? And when he was talking to his officers and his general, they said, you know, Caesar, if you cross this river, there is no turning back. If you don't win, you will die. They will kill you. This will be considered treason. Caesar was quiet as the calm air blew. He knelt down by the river, and as he looked down, his general said, Caesar, what do you want to do? Caesar, what do you want to do? What's your decision? And the men were back there, weapons and all. And Caesar said, well, the die must be cast. The die must be cast. Let's go forward. He says, if I stay here, I know what the result will be. But if I cross this river, there's a chance that I will win. And I will become the emperor of Rome. And so Caesar crossed the Rubicon. And now we know his name as Caesar. His name is synonymous with tyranny, with unbridled power, uncontrolled by principle. And it all started because Caesar had come to a crossroad. He had to make a decision in his life whether he was going to cross the Rubicon. And now the very fact that he crossed that river is now synonymous when we're talking about people crossing the line. People taking big risks 
for big gains. And so Caesar had come to a crossroad in his life. He had to make a decision. Then you come to Mahatma Gandhi, who was a lawyer in South Africa. Kicked off of a train because he was sitting in the wrong car because he was a colored man. The guy said, listen, I'm a lawyer. I work for a very big law firm here. I have a right to sit in this car. There's first class seats available. And the man said, if you don't get off this train, I'm going to throw you off. So he threw Gandhi off the train. After he threw him off the train, Gandhi went to the police department and said, well, sir, you should have had your paperwork on you that says that you know you were a citizen from India of the member of the British Empire. And he says, first of all, they shouldn't treat people like that. I told him that I was a member of the British Empire. So then they said, well, sir, we have this new rule in South Africa where you have to keep your papers on you at all times. So Gandhi said, papers for what? Well, because you're a colored man. I'm not a colored man. I'm Indian. And I'm a member of the British Empire. They said, well, these papers are government property and you're not able to destroy it. So make sure you have it on your person at all times. So Gandhi said, really? So he, he basically con contacted all the people in his community. And he said, we're going to get together and we're going to take these government papers and we're going to burn them. And anyone who wants to join me in this rebellion against this oppression will be there to burn them. So this thing spread abroad and the police department was there. Sticks and clubs and everything saying, if you burn these things, you are now destroying government property. You can be arrested and you can be beaten, essentially. By any means necessary, we can prevent you from burning this. So when they got there, there was a group of people, but only 12 people were actually seriously ready to burn their pieces of paper. <laughs> when they saw the police, they kind of took a step back and they said, well, Gandhi, um, you came here, so you burn yours first. <laughs> so as Gandhi looked at these men with these clubs and pistols, he had to make a decision. He was at a crossroads. And as he came to that point of decision, he began walking towards the fire. And as he got closer to the fire, the police officer approached him. And he's got closer, they got closer, and right before he was getting to the fire to, to put his paper in the flame, the man took his club and hit Gandhi's arm. Broke it. Gandhi fell down in pain, and then he took the paper in his left hand. And the men said, stay down. Gandhi started getting up. Then he took the club, broke Gandhi's left leg. He said, stay down. Don't make me do this. Now people are watching. Gandhi began to drag his broken leg on his left arm as he continued towards the flame. He said, stay down. Don't put that paper in that flame. And right as he put the paper in the flame, that's when he hit him and knocked him unconscious. He was the only one that burned. But when he went to the embassy, they said, Gandhi, your actions have reverberated throughout the British Empire. There's no turning back at this point. And Gandhi says, well, that's okay. And they said they struck a deal. 
because they're afraid that if you stay here, you'll become a symbol of a rebellion. So we're going to send you back to India. That's the agreement. We won't jail you, but you go back to India. But everyone in India had heard about what Gandhi had done. So as he arrived back in India, the assumption was Gandhi was coming back to liberate India from the British Empire. <laughs> there was this radical Indian guy in South Africa. And now we know his name. You can't travel to many small towns in India and not see statues of Gandhi. They call him Mahatma, which means the great soul, but they actually call him father because they say he is the father of India. And sure enough, Gandhi had come to a crossroad. <coughs> in the Bible, crossroads are points where we have to decide what we're going to do at critical points in life where we cannot fully understand the implications of our decision. That is a crossroad. Something in your heart tells you this is not just an average decision. Something deep down says there's more at stake than what my human eyes can see. Something tells you that if I go this way, I am certain of what the outcome will be. But if I go this way, it's a risk. then you understand what it means to be at a crossroad. But it's different when you're at a crossroad and you don't have the impetus of racism and oppression behind you, pushing you, telling you this is the right thing. Or you don't have the impetus of lust for power, like Caesar, pushing you across the Rubicon. But when we come to decisions and we're saying to ourselves, I just don't know what to do. I'm still thinking, I, I feel like I need more information. I wish I had more time, but there is no more time. There is no more opportunity for research. To delay is to give an answer. Because you're at a crossroad. You gotta go somewhere. And so I want to use the experience of Pontius Pilate to again show us how our story can be found in the cross. When we come to a crossroad, because Pilate is one of the characters that is given the greatest amount of content in the scene of the crucifixion. Why? Because the decision was his. He was the figure who was at a crossroad. You talk about Caesar, you talk about Gandhi, Pilate's decision is the greatest decision that is ever made. By a secular governor, I would even say by a human being who wasn't Jesus. Even greater in significance than Abraham leaving his father's house. The only decision I can think of greater than Pilate's decision was Adam's, to eat that fruit. Because Adam was at a crossroad. That's the only decision greater, but that was before sin. 
But after sin, I cannot think of a human being that grappled with a greater decision than Pilate. And so I want to take you through this story. And you perhaps can see your own struggle in Pilate's struggle. I want to begin in uh, the book of Luke, chapter 23. As we go into crossroads, I just don't know what to do. When you're there, you can say amen. Genesis, I'm sorry, Luke 23. I know, right? Genesis is on the mind. It's my favorite book of the Bible. Genesis 23, verse 1. I said it again, right? Have mercy. All right, we're going to have another prayer. And then we're going to read Luke 23. Father in heaven, still my mind, help us to be focused and bless our understanding of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Luke 23, verse 1. The Bible says, Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation. You just got to stop right there. We found this man perverting the nation. That's a bold claim. Can you imagine someone brought your name to CNN? We found this man perverting the nation. I mean, the auspicious claims that are brought to him. So immediately Pilate is confronted with the fact that this is not an average criminal. That's not common accusations. You understand? You know what I'm saying? Osama bin Laden is a person who's perverting the nation. You say, this man is a danger not just to America, but to the world. When you look at ISIS, when you, when you look at people who are leaking secrets in America, people say, look, Edward Snowden is perverting the nation. This is the mindset that people have on the level of what they're bringing to Christ. This man is perverting the nation. And... Forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Now they know this is a lie. But you can tell, right, they're, they're trying to make sure their argument is compelling to Pilate. But my whole point here is to say in verse 1, it says the multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. See, sometimes crossroads are not things that you and I sought out. Someone else brought it to us. I can tell you right now that there's a lot of young people that lost their virginity, not because they were looking to, but because someone brought it to them. There's a lot of people that got into drugs, not because they were looking for cocaine or meth or ecstasy, but because someone brought it to them. When I was a young boy, I wasn't looking for pornography. Someone brought it to me. Hey, Sebastian, have you seen this? We're in middle school. And you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute. We thought this guy was going to go and show us some video game. No. Nope. This guy took us to his room. He said, yeah, my mom's downstairs. Wait, lock the door. I'm like, what are we doing in here? We're all guys. Why are you talking about lock the door? 
So he's like, yeah, lock the door. So I said, no, nah, I'm not locking the door. I'm sorry, I'm Caribbean. We don't, we don't play that. So, so I said, I'm not locking any doors. You can go ahead and go show what you're going to show. He's like, listen, man, listen. Just lock the door, man. My mom walks in, we're going to die. I'm like, we're playing Nintendo, man. Like, what? So his friend goes and locks the door. I said, man, something's wrong with this. Next thing you know, he turns on the TV. I found this, this videotape in my dad's room. Check this out. Puts this in. I'm like, whoa. First time ever. And now I have to make a decision, right? Because all the other guys are like, oh, man, where'd you get this, right? They're giving each other fives and everything. <laughs> and I'm like, um, decision time. And I looked at them and I said, listen, guys, I'm going to have to talk to you guys later. I'm not interested in this. I didn't come over here for this. I wasn't even a Christian. But I was like, I'm not interested in this. And I praise God that because of that one decision, I didn't grow up addicted to pornography. And you come to a crossroad and recognize that sometimes a major life-changing decision is brought to you. You didn't seek it. You didn't create it. And by virtue of his position that he was the governor, they brought it to Pilate. And also recognizing that many times the major decisions in your life and in mine is because someone wants to use us to do their dirty work. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. People want to bring a situation to you as if, oh, it's your decision. What do you want to do, pastor? What do you want to do? You're the youth director. Drums or no drums? Uh-huh, you know what I'm talking about. Somebody's like, uh, you know. Start getting uncomfortable like, what do we do here? And in your heart, you're saying, I personally don't support this. Or maybe you do. But regardless of the fact, you know there are other people that don't support your view. So what are you going to do? By virtue of your position, crossroads come to you. And the decision you make has greater implications than you yourself can see. <coughs> Offers for drugs, illicit sexual encounters, do things to get extra money that are dishonest. And I can go on and on down the list. I remember I was in an Asian country. I'm not going to say which one. I was speaking at a conference there. And one of the young ladies, pretty girl, she came and she said, you know, Pastor, I want to ask your advice on something. Sure. What's, what do you need? She said, well, there's this guy, and uh, he's a friend of my friend. So I was thinking, I know where this is going. But I was wrong. Way off, right? I was ready for the blast and for the, no, don't even think about it. Don't waste your time. The brother doesn't know Jesus. He's not an option. So, <laughs> so I was ready. But little did I know, this conversation was taking a different turn. She comes and she says, well, I know that this guy's into sex trafficking. I'm like, what? 
So now, of course, um, my ears are, okay, where is this going? And he says, you know, we've been texting and on Facebook, and he wants to know where I live, and he wants to come to church. He's interested in joining Adventism and learning more. And I was thinking, man, maybe I should meet him, you know, so that I can bring him to church. I said, took a deep breath, and I said, you need to remove all contact from him. She said, really? I said, yes. I said, he's in sex trafficking? She said, yeah. I said, let me tell you what he's doing. Because I used to be a person that would research a lot into sex trafficking. It used to be one of the things that, I mean, would fire me up any day of the week. To think that someone would kidnap a three-year-old boy and chain him to a piece of concrete and sell him to people for 24 hours. Three. I can't, I'll kill someone. But someone needs to edit that from the recording. <laughs> so, <laughs> I just gotta be honest. <laughs> I'm not trying to lose my sanctification. So, so I, I looked at her and I said, listen, let me tell you what he's doing. I said, I can't get into this stuff anymore because it makes me too angry. They just find these people where they are and they do nothing about it because they're afraid that they'll move operations and we'll never find them. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'll save 250 kids before I wait to find all 10,000. I just, no. So I had to disconnect myself. But I told her, I said, let me tell you what he's doing. What he's doing is, he wants to earn your trust because he knows you're spiritually interested. So he says, oh, I want to come to your church. And this is his goal, right? He'll come to your church. People will say, oh, he's the guy, right, that she brought to church. That's her friend. Now, after this is her friend, one day he's going to come and he says, hey, do you know where she lives? She left, I left this thing in her car. Or she forgot something, I need to return it to her. Do you have her phone number? So then he'll get your address, and one day, when you're just walking where you're walking, you get kidnapped. Mm -hmm. Knows where you live, knows where you go to church, knows the normal routes, and before you know it, you disappear. And she looked at me in a very blank stare. And I could tell she was a little afraid. And I said, don't worry. Your life is in the Lord's hands. So nothing's going to happen to you as long as God is on watch. And as long as we don't put ourselves in the way of danger. But here was this young girl saying, do I witness to this guy? Because he seems sincere. He wants to come to church. But on the other hand, if I disconnect from him, what if he never finds salvation? What if he never comes to find another seven-day Adventist? Not you. Because you're at a crossroad, and a decision is brought to you. And so like Pilate, this is what came to him. And he had to make a decision, and they said, this person, this is not an average situation. He's perverting the whole nation. <laughs> then he says in verse 3, then Pilate asked Jesus himself, saying, are you the king of the Jews? He answered him and said, it is as you say. In other words, yeah, 
Verse 4, so Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no fault with this man. I don't see any problem with Jesus. I don't find a person who's perverting the nation. Verse 5, but they were more, the more fear saying, he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. And when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked, if, excuse me, if the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. So you see, what is it that Pilate is doing when he's forced to make a very important decision? You say what? He's trying to pass it on, right? So he looks at it and he says, okay, well, here's a decision. I'm at a crossroad. And the first thing that we typically do when we have a major decision that we have to make, we say, oh, we should send this to this person. That person should make the decision. Sometimes we do it to the pastor. Hey, pastor, they said that my exams are on Sabbath. And if I don't take my exams, I won't graduate nursing school. Pastor, what do you think I should do? Sending people to Herod. Oh, that's his jurisdiction. So I'm going to send you over here and you can deal with this. Because we don't want to make the right decision. You just said, I find no fault in this man. If you find no fault, then the result is he goes free. But Jesus doesn't go free. Because Pilate doesn't want to be the one to let him go. So he says, hey, send him to Herod. But you know, just like Pilate, the decision comes back. And so Herod is done. He sends Jesus back to Herod. I mean, back to Pilate. Verse 12, the Bible says the very, that very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other. For previously, they had been at enmity with each other. So now this is even better because the person that Pilate sent him to <laughs> was his enemy. Can you imagine? Some of us are so afraid of making a decision that we'd rather trust our enemies to make the decision. Someone who doesn't even love us. Someone we cannot trust, we do not trust, and have not trusted. Yeah, I'm going to go send you to Herod. He'll deal with this innocent man that I find no fault in. Go to Herod. And the Bible says they became friends that day. You know why? Because Herod... Always wanted to see Jesus. And now he got his wish. Through who? Pilate. Any other time, do you think Pilate would have sent judgment to Herod? No, they're enemies. This guy is corrupt. So I want you to think for a moment about the crossroads in your life. When you and I are forced to make major decisions... Do we send people to Herod? Are we trying to pawn it off on someone else to make the decision? You know, I love it when young people say things like, I feel God's calling me to India, but my mom said no. <laughs> Sending people to Herod. Yes. We can laugh, but it happens all the time. Jesus doesn't have to ask Mary's permission to die on the cross. And he loves his mom. And he honors his mom. I don't have to ask Mary if I'm going to quit my carpentry job to do what God's called me to do. And Mary had some good arguments. 
You know your father is dead. Who's going to support the family? If all the money you collect, you give to the poor. If you're spending all this time killing yourself, you know, mentoring disciples. Where's the income going to come from? And Jesus had brothers, but he's the firstborn. It's different. So she could have come to Jesus and said, listen, how could you do this? And Christ doesn't say, oh, God, you know, I would have started my ministry right on prophetic time, but my mom said no. <laughs> Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Is it any less ridiculous in your life? It's no less ridiculous. Not saying don't get your parents counsel if they're godly people. Not saying you shouldn't seek their advice or their input, but at the end of the day, when you know something is right, you better do it. Make the decision. And being at that crossroad in our personal story, we can identify with Pilate. That's why we don't like to, you know, it's funny that people like to talk about Pilate as a coward. And he is a coward. But if Pilate is a coward, then all of us are cowards. Because we do the same thing. You know how else we like to send people to Herod? We look in the Bible, we pray, we're like, man, I feel God is impressing me to do this and, and think this, and then you know what we do? We go to a preacher or we call someone, hey, what do you think about this? And one time a young person came to me and said, yeah, I've been studying this thing and I feel really convicted you know, I need to give more tithe. You know, what do you think? I looked at them and said, don't matter what I think. Give the tithe. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I don't want to be fanatical or righteousness by works. I said, that's in your own heart to work out. But if God told you to give 30%, you need to give 30%. Don't come to me and be like, oh, I would have given 30%, but Sebastian Braxton told me, you know, 30%. No, uh, notice here in Ezekiel. No. You need to do what Jesus told you to do. And we're trying to pawn off decisions. And this is a problem when you have a generation that doesn't do two things. That doesn't think and that doesn't do. If you can think, then you can act. But let your parents feel like, oh, you're not old enough to make your own decisions. Let your parents come to you and say, look, you can't trust your own judgment. We'll be the first to stick our little intellectual chest out. Mom, what are you talking about? I'm teaching calculus. <laughs> I can think. I'm not dumb. Let our parents be like, listen, you know, I don't like you going to these kind of functions. You know, there's a lot of people there. You don't know who's coming to these things. GYC is very big. Mom, I'll be all right. They're singing hymns. <laughs> it's not Jay-Z. It'll be okay. But you know, I was looking online and I saw things about sex offenders and you need to be careful out there in, in Arizona. Mom, it'll be okay. I remember we were going to our mission to Dubai and when I was going to Kenya in August. And guess when I was going to Kenya? When Ebola broke out. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Ebola. So as you're flying, right, I get on the plane, people, everyone's got a mask. Nobody wants to shake your hand. Hey, how are you doing today? <laughs> What's wrong with you? 
And as you're going, it's like, oh, well, should you be going to Kenya right now? Should you really be going to Africa? I mean, with Ebola out there? I said, that's funny, because they got Ebola in America, they got Ebola in Australia. <laughs> well, I guess it doesn't matter where I go. Well, no, don't be irresponsible. Then, guess what? Then after I decided to go to Africa, I decided to go to the Middle East. And guess who's there? ISIS. Oh, man. I can't believe you're going to the Middle East. And people giving their kids grief to come on this mission. And I said, listen, I am a parent. And I'm not saying it's easy to let your kids go into a place where there's possible danger. When you have kids, everything is dangerous. <laughs> it's the truth. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. Everything's dangerous. Should I let them watch this show? Veggie Tales. You're like, nah, they shouldn't be. Nah, turn this off. <laughs> it's a little strong. This is a little strong. She's only two. This is what we do. Is everything is harmful. But at the end of the day, if my daughter is going to die, I'd rather her die serving Jesus Amen. than dying in a car accident on her way to Georgia Tech chemistry class and thinking and wondering what her potential was rather than she was doing what the Lord God of the universe had called her to do. No soldier is honored when he's shot at the rifle range. You got shot at the rifle range. The man is honored when he died where? In battle. We'd rather our kids die at the rifle range than die in the battlefield. And so in these crossroads, these decisions we have to make, sometimes we like to get the conviction, get the clarity, and ask someone for advice. But that's not what we're doing. We want them to make a decision. And when somebody comes to you, you need to make sure you let them know. Sister, you need to do what Jesus says to you to do. I tell people the best advice in the Bible came from the mother of Jesus. Whatever he says to you, do it. That's the best advice in the whole Bible. Amen. Whatever Jesus says to you, do it. Fill up water pots, carry the water pots, bring back the water pots, look at the water pots. Whatever he says, do it. Amen. That's the reality. But for us, we're like, oh no, there's Pilate. His conscience is like, let this man go. Pilate says, send him to Herod. But it doesn't stop there. He goes and when he comes back in Luke chapter 23 and verse 13, then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers and the people, said to them, you have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him. And indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. This is interesting. This is what I like to call the compromise. The half obedience. So you have a major decision. You send it to the other person. It didn't work. Came back. Nope. Now you have to make the decision. So you think, okay, well, here's this crowd. Everyone's expecting me to do this. 
But my conscience is like, this guy's innocent. I find no fault in him. I should just let him go. So you know what I'll do? I'll whip him and then release him. So maybe if I whip him, it'll appease the crowd. They'll say, okay, you punished him and you let him go. Didn't work. And that is a lesson to you and I today. Compromise does not work. There is no half-stepping in Christianity. Either we are wholehearted Christians or we are none at all. So when you and I, again, we're talking about crossroads, when you come to a place like Pilate, when you're saying to yourself, I just don't know what to do. You're here at a point where you're trying to make a decision. And Pilate's story is telling us, listen, I know what you're going through. I know what you're trying to do, pawning it off on your parents, on your favorite preacher. I know what you're trying to do. This story has already been told. We know how the story ends. Jesus ends up on a cross. So for you and for me, compromise. Half obedience is not obedience. Many people don't know that the call in Genesis 12 is the second time that God called Abraham. People don't know that. You see, when you look at the call of Abraham, we think, oh yeah, Abraham was just there and the first time God called him, he obeyed. No, he didn't. The first time God called him, he was in Haran. Did you know that? Some of you study the Bible know that. Go to Acts 7. I don't want to digress too much because our time is, is, is ticking. Go to Acts chapter 7, Stephen's sermon. The Bible says in Acts chapter 7 in verse 2, <clears throat> Stephen begins his sermon, Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. Before he dwelt in Haran. And said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. So what was Abraham waiting for? The death of his father. So go to Genesis 12. Since Genesis is on the mind. Actually, we're going to go to Genesis 11. Are you there? All right. The Bible says in verse 31. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, and his son, Abram's his son Abram's wife. And they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to where? Haran and dwelt there. The Bible says... Before he dwelt in Haran, God said to Abraham, get out of your country. Are you following? Before he went to Haran, God said, get out of your country. Now he comes to dwell in Haran. Notice the next verse. So the days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died where? In Haran. Now the Lord had said. It didn't say the Lord said. It says the Lord had said in the past. You didn't catch it. 
the Bible says, now the Lord had said to Abraham, if I had done something, that means it was where? In the past. He's not speaking right then. He says, God had already told Abraham, get out of your country, away from your father's house. He told him before he was in Haran. Then he goes to Haran, he waits for his, father's to, his father to die, then he decides to obey. And now you know why when Jesus comes and he says, when he calls you, and the disciple says, oh, let me first bury my father, and then I will follow you. The father of the faithful, even Abraham, was hesitant. People don't know where Abraham has come from. When God first called him, he did not follow right away. He went halfway. Because you know what? Haran is halfway between the Ur of the Chaldees and Canaan. Abraham was half-stepping. It's the truth. We say, okay, I'm moving in that direction. Those kind of people that are, you know, you get those people who are like, God knows my heart. God knows that I'm trying. Even though we came to this crossroad, we had a decision, we know what the right decision is, so instead of making the decision, we just start moving in that direction. God called you to go to India, you need to go to India. Don't be like, I'm going to move to Dubai and I'm going to be, I'm halfway there. <coughs> I'm on my, it's closer to India. God called us, you know what, you need to quit and you need to go canvassing. Oh yeah, Lord, I'm going to do a summer program. Half-stepping. Because when we get to that crossroad, that's what so many of us do. The story that is your story is a story that's already been told. We've been through this. Pilate was there. And you look at him and you see a man who was still hesitant to make the right decision. But as if this was not enough, Pilate tried something else. Verse 17, for it's necessary for him to release one to them at the feast. And they all cried out at once, saying, away with this man and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. This man is perverting the nation. Amen. Pilate, therefore, Wishing to what? Release Jesus. Again called out to them. Now I want you to notice. Pilate says he's wanting to release Jesus. That's what he wants. He's like, man, I'm trying to figure out a way how to release Jesus. But you know what else he's trying to figure out how to do? Please the crowd. So when you and I come to a crossroad and it's time for us to make a decision, you know what we're trying to do? We say, okay, mom, I'll answer the call to go to Nepal. I'll answer the call to go to Peru or to Paraguay, Uruguay. You know when I'm going to answer this? After I finish my law degree. That's what we're doing. We're trying to figure out how to do what God says and please this person. Listen, you can't serve two masters. You will either hate the one and love the other, or you'll cling to one and despise the other. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot please 
two people whose wills are diametrically opposed to each other. It is not possible. So when you and I look at the decisions that you and I have to make, and you and I come to that crossroad, is your story like Pilate's? Where you and I find, here I am to make a decision, I tried to pawn it off on someone else, it didn't work. I tried to kind of halfway step it, didn't work. Then I tried, you know, I'm going to try to appeal to their sense of justice. Who do you want me to release unto you? Barabbas? This guy's for murder, sedition, destroyed the city. Terrible man. Or Jesus, king of the Jews. That's what he tried to do. Make it a nice, shining, sparkling decision. And the people said, away with this man. We want Barabbas. Didn't work. You know how many times we try to do that to people? We know what is the right decision. So we try to appeal to reason. Do you know that reason is not sufficient enough to arrive at truth? There's a lot of young people walking around talking about, well, you know, I agree with our message because it makes sense. No, that's wrong. That is not why you're a Seventh-day Adventist. The devil knows that our message makes sense. He's not Adventist. He knows that God makes sense. He is not a worshiper of Jesus. He knows that following the word of God makes sense, but he ain't obeying it. Even the devils believe in God and tremble. But he's not worshiping. But he knows it makes sense. Even the devil knows it makes more sense to go to heaven than to burn in hell. The devil knows that it makes sense. That's why he's messing up in your life. Because when you think, oh, this is completely rational. Someone came to me the other day and they're like, yeah, you know, uh, they were talking about alcohol. And I knew that they were drinking. They, they like to drink a glass of wine here and there. And they're looking at me like they know I don't support alcohol drinking. So they're like, well, you know, someone said it. It's like, oh, yeah, do you still have that glass of wine, you know, with your meal? Da, 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 da. And so, of course, there I am, Sebastian Braxton, right, the big bad wolf preacher. So the person, you could tell they got uncomfortable. They said, well, I was reading a study the other day uh, that said that, you know, wine has a lot of antioxidants, you know, things like that. And they said, yeah, Sebastian, what do you think? You know, uh, there's a lot of good properties in wine. I said, you can get it in grape juice. You don't need wine. In fact, that's why the properties are there. Because it's from actual fruit and berries. You don't need fermentation to get antioxidants. You don't need to lose your impairment while you're driving to get your nutrients. Can you say amen? amen? God didn't set it up that way. But you got people out here, there's nothing wrong with a glass of wine. It's actually good. You live longer. It fights cancer. <laughs> Just drink grape juice and you don't have to get drunk. And receive the benefits. But this is what we do. We try to appeal to people's reason. Well, think about it. I mean, should, I'm not drinking beer. I'm not drinking this. And this has antioxidants and all these other things. <laughs> As if that justifies the decision. No, Pilate, the right thing to do is to release him. Not give the people the choice. Sometimes we even go to our friends. And we'll say, oh, you know, 
there's this girl and there's this girl. There's this guy and there's this guy. And we try to present the one that we feel that God is leading us towards, hoping that person will affirm that decision. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And we're like, oh, yeah, this person's really godly. I love counseling young people when they're about to get into a relationship. They're like, oh, yeah, so uh, what do you think about me and this person? I said, well, they're like, well, there's this person and there's this person. Who do you think is a better fit? I'm like, well, why do you like this person? Then they go you know, on and on. But this person has this. But this person has this. And I said, listen, marriage is not like choosing ketchup. <laughs> it's not salad dressing. Well, I like ranch. You like Italian. I'm, I'm more of a French guy. It's like, yeah, this one's a little tangy. I like my guys like this. That's not what we're talking about. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be funny, really. <laughs> that is not my intention. I'm saying these things because it's true. Young people come and expect like, oh, yeah, clearly you want to make decision B. So go ahead and make decision B. But don't try to ask me to back you up so when it goes wrong, and it will go wrong, oh, well, I, I did counsel with Sebastian. <laughs> no. You can't sit here and try to present it and say this one's really shimmery and this one is not. Therefore, which one should I choose? No, it's your choice. You need to man up and make your decision and own your decision and bear the responsibility of your decisions. Period. And this is why we call Pilate a coward. And this is why many of us are cowards. Because at the end of the day, even when it didn't work, he tried one more thing. He came to them as they said, crucify him, crucify him. Verse 22, Pilate then said to them the third time, Why, what evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. Why, what evil has he done? He tries pleading with them. And at the end of it all, Pilate essentially says, go to Matthew chapter 27, because it's not in Luke. Matthew chapter 27. Verse 24 of Matthew chapter 27. The Bible says, when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and he washed his hands before the multitude saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. He thought that he could wash away his responsibility. So when we decide to go with the wrong decision, when we decide to go with the weak-hearted decision, this is where the last point still stands. People don't want to own their decisions. If you're going to be a Christian, you got to understand the will. And having a will means you have the power to think and to act and to choose. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. I don't want to hear about what you intended to do at GYC. I want to know what you chose to do. Amen. Don't tell me what you intended to do when you go home after the conference. Let me know what you decided to do. Amen. 
and own the decision. Don't wait for your mom to affirm. Don't wait for your friends. Don't wait for your cousins. Don't wait for your pastor. Don't wait for your best friend. Don't even, don't, there's some things you don't even need to pray about. People come in like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, spending an extra 30 minutes in my devotion. You don't need to pray about that. <laughs> there's nothing to pray about. God already told you he wants you to know him. This is eternal life that we might know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you something. We are reminded of the fact that many people will be lost hoping and desiring to be Christians. And she says, why? Because the statement ends this way. Because they never chose to be Christians. They never chose. So when you look at your crossroad, and maybe some of you are here because you are at a crossroad. And so my message to you is from Pilate. It is time for you to make a decision and to own the decision and take responsibility for the decision and let it be enough that Jesus backs you up. You don't need reason. You don't need Herod. You don't need any of these things. You just need the fact that the Lord is behind us. And if God is for you, who can be against you? But you know what our mindset is? If my mom is against me, who can be for me? <laughs> if my friends are against me, people say, I don't want to choose to follow the Lord and be lonely. Listen, I will walk the streets of gold alone. Amen. Amen. I ain't burning to hell for nobody. <laughs> This is the mindset. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just speaking from my heart right now. This is not notes. Some people in this room, God forbid, will be lost because they're trying to go to hell in a group. I'm sorry. You can't wait on your friends to get their act together. This, the, listen, we are in the last days. We are at a crossroads as a movement as a group of young people, we need to decide. Either we want to finish this work or we don't. Either we're going to sacrifice financially to finish this work or we won't. But let's not pretend to be radical when we're not. Because we're not making radical decisions. Waiting for someone else to ask me to go canvas. Waiting for someone else to ask me to join their ministry. When the Lord already asked. It is time. That too many people's stories in this room end like pilots. The wrong decision. Why? Because we just don't choose. Own the decision. Because you can't wash your hands of your responsibility. Pilate thought he could. And he was wrong. And he made the worst decision in the history of the universe. He gave his creator 
to the hands of an angry mob. When it was in his power to save his Lord. In every decision you and I meet, we should see Pilate. And remember, it is in my hands to save my Lord. To decide to be right alone. So be it. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I'm already over time, so I have to make this fast. There's someone in here that needs to make a decision. They've delayed it. They're afraid of it. Or they're waiting on other people. So now, today is the day. Today is the day to make that radical decision. It's to choose for yourself. And say, Lord, I'm now ready to cross that line. I'm ready to own my decision. I'm ready to make it enough that Jesus backs me up. If there's someone here today that says, I need to make that decision today. I'm no longer going to be afraid. I'm no longer going to half-heart it. I'm no longer going to wait on affirmation from human beings. I'm no longer going to compromise. But I'm going to own my own decision. Own my own spirituality. Own my own life. And it's time for me to decide. I want you to come right up here to this table. You say, that's you? Come right to this table. I'm not going to be a coward anymore. I'm going to own my decisions. I'm not expecting this is for everyone. So that's why I'm making an altar call. You say, Lord, I'm owning my decisions. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If you're not coming, you need to be praying that the people who need to come, come. We always want to look around and see who else is getting up. You need to own your own decision. You decide to sit, you chose to sit. But it's time for us to be willing to stand alone. We need to be trailblazers so that when the story is told to our children and our grandchildren, our friends will say, you were the first one who decided to go all the way with the Lord. You were the first one to stop playing games in church. You were the first one to stop playing games with religion and Adventism. You came to a crossroad and you made the right decision. And so there's someone here that needs to make a decision. And that's my altar call for that person that says, nope, I'm not going to be a coward anymore. I'm not afraid to be right by myself. And I'm going to own my decision. Father in heaven, you see these who have come. Father, you've issued a radical call to them. You've stirred their hearts, and that's why they're here. Father, albeit these extra few minutes of this seminar might have changed the course of the Adventist church because of the young people that have come to this altar right now. Father, they're coming to lay down their fear. They're coming to lay down their cowardice. 
They're coming to lay down their insecurities and their desire to people please. And they want to walk away courageous. They want to walk away being Christians who can think and who can act. People of decision. Who recognize that we live in a time where we are at a crossroads. We have to make a decision. And when we don't know what to do, we're not going to pawn it off on someone else. We're not going to compromise. We're not going to half step. We're going to decide. And we're going to own our decision. And do what is right. Because it is right. And leave the consequences with God. Father, I pray that you will bless them. And that you would use them as agents of change wherever they go. And that the spirit that you've given to them right now, that that same spirit would be contagious among their peers, among their parents, among their families, among their churches. And Father, that they may trailblaze, carve a path and go where young people have never gone before. For your name's sake, do we offer this prayer from our hearts in Jesus' name. This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at The Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.